Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be understood as or considered a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Adam Childers, back again with the podcast known as Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. Today's a special edition, everyone. We're departing from our normal every other Wednesday rollout of the podcast, and that's because there was some big seismic news in the world of employment law that happened just yesterday. And so we rushed to the studio and I'm, I'm here with Mary Snyder to talk about that news. We're going to be talking about OSHA and the vaccination and testing emergency temporary standard. We've been waiting for a couple of months for it to drop. It happened yesterday. Mary's talked to us previously about it, but now that it's actually happening, we wanted to you know rush to the studio and get this information out. You know, we have been on pins and needles waiting for this, just to reset for everyone. Remember, on September 10th, the Biden administration announced that part of its COVID recovery plan, that there would be this directive given uh, by the Department of Labor to OSHA to make sure that this ETS was going to go into effect. We knew generally that it was going to mandate vaccination and or testing for unvaccinated workers for employers of a certain size, but uh, a lot of the details were still you know, to be determined. Uh, we got a little bit of information on September 11th in a briefing, but since then, it's been crickets until yesterday. And yesterday, November 4th, that's when it was rolled out in 480 pages of all its glory. And uh, Mary has looked at it as much or more than anyone else in the group. And so she's the perfect person to have on today to talk about what we now know after this review. It, it, it got published this morning, which means it's now in effect. So Mary, let's dive right on into it. Let's start first. And I should mention, you, you've you already put out an advisory on this. It's it's on our website. Uh, it goes into great detail. We've also got another advisory that's going out today about the CMS directives that uh, apply to healthcare facilities. So there's a lot of information we're already pumping out there, and we'll continue to put content in the days that follow. But let's use this podcast to kind of flesh out a few of these things. And let's start first with who does this emergency temporary standard apply to? It applies to employers with 100 or more employees at any time during which the ETS is in effect. So if you have 100 employees today, it applies to you. If you have 93 employees today, but over the holidays you hire some more folk and you go over that 100 threshold, it will now apply to you through the duration of the ETS. All right. So these are private employers and that's during the duration of the ETS and the ETS is six months in scope. Is that correct? Yes. All right. So there might be some that are breathing at least a sigh of relief if they're worried about, you know, the burdens that, that come with this program if you're less than 100 employees. But do we know for sure that, that it won't apply to smaller employers? Well, it does not currently, but in its commentary when it released the ETS, OSHA made clear that it's still looking at whether it may extend the ETS to smaller employers as well. Okay, so again, a work in progress on that front. So we know then that the the magic number is 100. How do we count the number of employees uh, when it comes to, you know, having multiple locations where you might not have that many in one location? 
You count all of your employees in the United States, regardless of where they work, whether they're full-time or part-time, whether they're seasonal. If they're seasonal and they're there, your employees, during the duration of the ETS, you're going to count them. Interestingly, you do not have to count temporary employees that come through a staffing agency. If they're the direct employee of a staffing agency, then the staffing agency has to count them for their employee count, but you don't have to count them for yours. Okay. Well, then what about virtual employees? With COVID, a lot of companies have sent their employees uh, home to perform work. Uh, how, how are they counted or, or are they counted? They are counted for purposes of determining if you have 100 employees, but they're excluded from the provisions of the ETS as far as having to comply with testing or uh, vaccination mandates. How interesting. So they, they play a role in the count, but not in terms of the what's actually required. Okay, then, well, then let's move into what is required. Obviously, there's some, some big deadlines that are prescribed by OSHA's vaccination and testing emergency temporary standard. The first one that uh, arrives on the calendar is December 5. Uh, obviously, your, your advisory goes into great detail on all the things that are required of employers with 100 or more employees by that date. But uh, tell us some of the biggies. Well, some of the biggies are making sure you have a, a policy in place that addresses the vaccination requirement and testing requirements. And there are a number of particulars outlined in the advisory that that policy has to include. In addition, it requires that you offer up to four hours of paid time off for employees to get vaccinated and that you offer paid time off for workers who may experience side effects from the vaccine and are unable to work due to that paid sick time, basically, for that purpose. It also gives a much more specific requirement in regard to face coverings for workers while they're indoors if those workers are unvaccinated as of that December 5th date. It's more specific in regard to which areas and, and under what circumstances they can take off a mask. So a lot of this will depend on, you know, knowing who in your workforce is currently vaccinated and who is not. Now, are there different rules, of, for instance, companies that have already collected that information Prior to, you know, today's publishing of this ETS, um, how is that information going to be handled versus what you have to, you know, collect from your employees after today? Right. So employers are required to collect this information from all employees and to create a roster and what they have said is if before today, before November 5th, you already have information in writing from employees showing that they are vaccinated, you do not have to go undertake a new documentation effort with those employees, but it has to be something in writing. Now, it can be emails from employees. Okay. It can be a roster that your HR person created that checked a box. It can be pretty informal if it was created in writing before today. But after today. But after today, if you have to verify vaccination status, there are specific documents you have to look for, and those are outlined in the ETS. And also explained in greater detail in your advisory. So then that's the first big deadline. Let's talk about the one that will have everybody talking, I'm sure, which is January 4th of the coming year, 2022. Uh, what will be required at that point under the ETS? 
Well, under the ETS, you will be required to, if you don't have a 100% vaccination rate within your workforce, you will be required to implement a weekly testing protocol for all employees who are unvaccinated, whether they're unvaccinated for any reason, if it's a you know, ADA reason, a religious reason, or just personal preference reason, and you haven't required them to get the vaccine, then you are required to see weekly negative test results for them to be in the workplace. Which means that those exemptions we've become accustomed to are still out there, but then the safety net under this program is you're still going to have to do that weekly testing for those those individuals. Um, so that, of course, leads to one of the big you know buzzes around the business community in the lead up to all this, which is who's going to pay for all of this? So what, what do we know about the testing costs uh, after you and I and many others attended the, the briefing with OSHA yesterday where they, they explained the rollout? Well, what we know is that OSHA, which has no responsibility over wage and hour laws, says we aren't going to require that employers pay for this testing. So employees can can be required under the ETS to pay for it. But as you know, we have some concerns internally about whether that will actually be okay under laws enforced by our State Department of Labor and the Federal Department of Labor. So We have identified a statute within the labor code here in Oklahoma that makes it sound as if employers probably do need to pay for this testing. Then there's the Fair Labor Standards Act and issues as to whether for lower wage employees, the testing might bring them below the minimum wage. And is this one of those situations where it's okay because it's really a personal expense for the employee? Or would it be more viewed by the DOL as a business expense, which if it is and it brings them below the minimum wage, that's a problem. So we're looking at that now and hope to be issuing an advisory giving our folks more information Shortly. Absolutely. I mean, this is fast paced and we are, you know, drinking from the, the, the fire hydrant here. But you're right in that we've we've seen both federal, but most importantly for uh, Oklahoma businesses, perhaps state law that will, you know, alter the, the big news coming out of this that, you know, oh, don't worry, employers, you don't have to pay for that testing. That may not be the case in Oklahoma. We're looking really hard at that and we want to make sure that we've got the right answer. And I would encourage everyone to keep tuned in because we will be putting out additional content on that as clients and members of the business community look for the right answer on this very important topic. So let's close with the issue that's also getting a lot of attention in the news cycle. And that's, you know, is there a chance that all of this doesn't come to pass because there's litigation out there. We we know that uh, Attorney General John O'Connor here in Oklahoma has announced a lawsuit uh, based on the ETS, Arizona, Florida, others following suit, you know, without getting into all the details of those lawsuits and and what their potential for for winning or prevailing would be. We do know the one thing that is most important is the ETS moves forward unless there's an injunction that gets put in place. So I'm interested in your thoughts, Mary, about, you know, what should employers be thinking about right now? Do they sit on the sidelines and kind of wait to see if, you know, one of these lawsuits is able to bring it to a halt or is it full steam ahead? Well, unfortunately, I think it probably does need to be full steam ahead. We have, you know, 30 days until this goes into effect and Thanksgiving week in the middle of that. And 
there are a number of items that need to be in place in December 5th, and we simply cannot count on a court stopping the lawsuit in the interim. It could happen, of course, but I don't think we can count on it. And so I think employers need to be thinking about what is their policy going to be? Are they going to be requiring everyone get a vaccine? Or are they going to say, no, we'll go the testing route and then get your policies in place? And the policy provisions are really specific. They're probably going to require dramatic changes from what you already have in place. And they require that they be translated into any language that your employees speak. And so you're going to have some, even after you get your policy drafted, you're going to need time to get those policies translated. This is a, a big lift and employers need to start early. Yeah, I think your point is well taken. I think we remember, you know, the lessons learned from some of the big wage and hour changes that were coming down the pike late in the days of the Obama administration. There was court action taken, I think, uh, one day before it all went into place. And that's a crazy position to be in if you want to wait that long, not knowing how it's going to turn out. And here, I don't think that employers have that that luxury. And so it, it does call for immediate action. Well, thanks to you. Mary, for keeping on top of this. And, and, and our entire labor and employment group is working tirelessly to stay on top of this and get the most current information out to clients and, and the business community. So thank you for all of those efforts. And I just want to remind everyone once again that the advisory that Mary has put together is already up on our website. Check that out there. We're going to have one that goes out today, authored by Michael Bowling in our labor and employment group in conjunction with our healthcare group and Karen Rieger and Maggie Martin uh, that's going to be going out about the CMS directives uh, that are are similar to the ETS but have different requirements and uh, apply to healthcare facilities. So this, again, as I said earlier, it's it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. There's a lot of information. We'll be putting out more content, including uh, an update on this issue of who pays the cost of the the testing, which I know is going to be a big one that everybody's going to want to see uh, the the outcome of. So um, that's a wrap uh, for today. Don't forget to follow the podcast on your streaming service of choice, as well as any of the firm's social media pages. It's really been enjoyable to jump into the the studio here at the the Crow's Nest and and put together sort of an emergency podcast. Thank you, Mary, for being flexible and helping us do that. And that's a wrap for uh, today and we look forward to talking to all of you soon here on Briefly Legal.